0: What's up, my self-improvement people? It is Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development one tip at a time. It is time for a self-improvement sit-down. It's such an honor to speak with the amazing guests I have on the show, and today's guest is special because he comes from halfway across the world. Now, instead of listening to the typical two-minute episode I normally share on the podcast, we're going to learn from a world-changer but he is so humble. This is what he had to say when I told him that I was going to start by introducing him.
1: Please make it very short. I I would just love that you say, this guy was born in remote Bhutan in a cow shade and he is a pilgrim of love and compassion. Finished.
0: (laughs) I can't can't do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's how I like people to introduce me.
0: He's such a pure soul, and he has an inspiring and eye-opening message to share today. It's time to sink into self-improvement sit-down number 29 with Dr. Samdu Chetri. And we are live. Today's guest is known as the happiness guru of Bhutan. His name is Dr. Samdu Chetri, and Samdu is tasked to create a new governing structure to Bhutan, which is a country near India called Gross National Happiness. Instead of measuring their country's success by GDP, he established a system that takes nine domains into account, including psychological well-being, ecological diversity, time use, and cultural diversity, to name a few. He has a philosophy that promotes interconnectedness through embodying our relationship with nature and remaining mindful and aware in our lives. He is perhaps the most enlightened man I've ever spoken with. Dr. Samdu. thank you very much for being here today.
1: An honor, absolutely. Thank you so much for getting me on this podcast. I'd like to greet all those who listen to this podcast, want to send my love and my gratitude, my compassion to them.
0: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you embody all of that. So it's, it's already being felt. It's, it's not communicated uh, or doesn't need to be communicated externally. So thank you. Um, I want to start by talking about something that we've connected on before that you really opened my eyes to, which is our connection with nature. And kind of as you've shared before, um, we as humans share 98% of our genes with other humans, but then we also share genes with everything that lives and we're made up of water and we're made up of air, which are the building blocks of life. So we aren't too different from nature, but I'd love for you to, to first kind of understand and, and share with us uh, kind of from that awareness piece of knowing that new information, um, what is our relationship with nature and why should we treasure it so much?
1: Right, thank you very much. Um, this question actually touches my heart very much because I do not differentiate myself from the nature. I feel I am the nature and nature is me. Um, It totally depends how we see. Often we are who we are, but we try to see from what is there, not from within. So what happens is that we are seeing something that is not within us. And that creates a big difference between who we are and what that other thing is. It's... Science, in fact, um, in India, ancient India, they found this term called Bhagawan that actually is translated loosely into God. If anything happens, they say, Hey Bhagawan, hey Bhagawan. And you ask any Indian, What does Bhagawan mean? He'll say, God. But the term Bhagawan actually stands for Bha for Bhumi, Ga for Gagan the sky. Earth, sky, fire, wind, and water. one. That's how it is written. And uh, we know from science that more than 70% of our constitution is water. And um, the genetic science talks about that 37.2 trillion cells are in an average human being. And every cell needs to be nourished by, Certain amount of energy, air that flows into every uh, cell. Now you can, and also they say that every cell has about 1.4 volt equivalent of energy. Now, if you multiply 37.2 trillion cells with 1.4 volts, we are bigger than the biggest electrical hydropower probably on this planet Earth, you know. And that's why we say we can communicate distantly we can communicate through telepathy that's how we say it. it's true if we can sit here and now I if I imagine in my mind you sitting there in a position and start talking to you through my mind I'll be able to do so so when you look into this old ancient Indian text you realize that this is 70% of you are water Sixteen percent, eight percent of energy, heat, and eight percent of air in your body, and then they say twelve percent is the food in your body. Because if you go back to the history of a child, is the haploid, haploid of two parents that forms into a diploid, uh, a zygote as a cell. That cell multiplies and divides from the food that mother nourishes. So even when you are born we are fed with what is coming out of this planet Earth. So given this fact that we are the nature and anything we do to any part of nature, we directly bring a suffering to ourselves. Now this is very important to realize that if we know who we are, then it becomes easier for us to know others. Because often we segregate, oh, we see people differently from our own self. But when I tell you that whole of them, 100% of my body and your body has the same elements, it's only something else that is differs from us, but our form is totally what, you know, this element, five elements gives us, you know, planet Earth. And then the genetic science goes further to tell us that we are connected with every plant, insects, animals on this planet. And rightly, when we are very depressed, anxious, lonely, if we go out to the nature, to the trees, to the forest, or to the riverside or to the ocean side, there's an immediate calming effect, simply because our organisms connect quickly with the organisms of the nature existing out there. So how can we say that you are different from me? We are all the same. We are the same form. So therefore, this form when it dies, it goes back to the same elements that are in the planet, but something that remains that doesn't die. And a quantum physicist called Michio Kaku, an American gentleman, says that if we can vibrate at the same level like the dinosaurs, we would see them around us. So that confirms this ancient belief of Indians that nothing dies on this planet. We are always there coming back again and again. So the form dies, but we don't die. We'll be reborn again and again. So given that fact, if we know who we are by this fact, then it becomes easy for us to connect with everybody. Exactly, we human beings, we are made up of these five elements on this planet. And if we learn deeply on this, I think we will understand beyond us. And we will never fear death. Because we will know that we'll never die, we are always existing in our genes, in our siblings, in our uh, relatives, plus we are existing in all the five elements on this planet earth
0: that's that's fantastic it's really profound i I'm reflecting on it, um, and <laughs> there's a question i've always been curious to know the answer to. I never found the right person to ask, nor have I taken it seriously before, but i I have many points to pull out of that, but I, I want to urgently ask this question instead. So I've heard a lot about like a soul's journey or like your soul's path and how the body is just the mechanical figure you wear that houses the soul. And I'm I'm not sure exactly how much of that I believe or you know, how much I've learned from it, but I feel like that is interconnected with some of the elements you're talking about right now. So, and even, you know, we spoke about when your mom passed that you were not sad because death is a very natural part of our own cycle and that you know we should celebrate what that form was, but she will live in everything else. So it's not that much changes. And that kind of really implies how the soul lives beyond the body. But I'm curious to know kind of that element or aura, kind of what is your understanding of how our souls take different paths and different forms throughout generations? And and how can we either see proof of that or how can we start believing that?
1: a highly recognized Zen Buddhist master by name of Thich Nhat Hanh, when people talked about fearing death, he had a beautiful analogy to, um, uh, to tell us. He said that when the sun hits the ocean, the vapors rise, they go up into the sky, form into clouds, and they move all around. And somewhere they strike far away from where they rose and fall as rains. These rains get into small form, into small rivulets, get into a channel, into a stream, to a big river, back to the ocean. And his question was, when did the water die? So ours, our form is exactly the same. The soul is living, whether you call it a soul, or. Many people would like to call it as consciousness. Some name it as Atma. Some name it as energy. You know, different names it has. But it is never dead. If this is energy, energy never dies. There is a possibility that it could break. Now, if it breaks, then there are chances that it can get into any other forms. Now, we know from science that plants also live. They can also hear you. They can understand when you go with a knife next to a plant and raise onto it, it reacts. And animals, when I don't know if anyone would have gone to see a slaughterhouse, I cried, I cried. You cannot believe how tearful the eyes of these animals are. They, they, they know they're going to be slaughtered, they're going to be killed, they know it. And they, they, they feel so sad. Having said that, everything on this planet is alive. But we live in an ecological system. So even plants, they know very well that I am growing for somebody and that somebody could be animal or human beings. So there is a level of acceptance for them. So when you go to a plant and say, I beg you, I need you, can I pick you up? It accepts. So, but then instead of just going grabbing and cutting, it accepts. And that way, I also have a, you know, kind of a feeling that when Islam, they do halal, you know, they start cutting the animal from the throat with a prayer. Maybe the animal accepts. I don't know. But all said and done, you know, we should not have industries built. Like back in Bhutan, uh, there's, I mean, the whole Bhutan, we don't kill. Four months in Bhutan is meat-free time. Bhutanese, of course, eat meat, but they ate meat from cows that fell off the rocks and died, or cows that could not pass through the winter and dried. Those were the meat for them. Still today, no Bhutanese kills. Killing is not prohibited, but no one kills because there is so high compassion in them. And we, you know, every Bhutanese would pray to a plant before they would like to pick it up. Or even digging the earth, they do a big ceremony talking to the earth. You know, So there is so much of connection with them because we know, we feel that we are part of it. And when we destroy it without asking its permission, we directly or indirectly destroy ourselves. So it could be my belief, that's my very personal belief. If we haven't done our path journey properly, meaning we have not served others, we have not been compassionate, we have not been kind, uh, but we have been very egoist ourselves and not really feeling for others in any way, there could be a possibility that our consciousness, our energy could divide. And part of it could become a tree and you are there as a tree for, I don't know, 200 years before someone fells and burns it or uses as furniture or something else. Uh, You could be a part of an animal, or you could be just born as a butterfly for a few days. You know? And then, of course, a big chunk of it could be you are reborn as a human being again. But you are not complete because part of your energy is lying somewhere. So it becomes very difficult for you to remember what happened in your past journey. Now, the biggest challenge we have is that when a child starts to murmur in childhood, we do not have enough ears or time to listen to that child and then we husk away the child, we let the child open mind to the environment that is around, and then they forget their past altogether. So, having said all that, soul is something that will come back, may not be in your same form. My soul could have been, I don't know in how many forms earlier, but now it's in my form. Next time it could be in somebody's form. and this form, is actually doesn't belong to us it belongs to the five elements so we'll have to let it remain here when we transcend this and get to another place wherever the universe designs like like the natural selection that happens on us how we we can't decide parents can't decide that we are born something decides that's called the natural selection so it's also the natural selection that transcends after us, you know, that the universe decides what to do with the soul.
0: You've really opened my eyes to a new concept and perhaps something that many people are not processing correctly. It's the idea of how we label our bodies because our bodies are just a collection of energy. And what we are doing is we're labeling all that energy as one independent force. Whereas it's only just pieces from everything that's ever existed. And now it's collected temporarily in this form. And then once that form decomposes or moves on or expires, then that energy is returned back to the environment and incorporates in other things. So it's not necessarily that we ourselves have souls, it's that we speak on behalf of the energy that's always been existing, which is why, with your mother, she exists in everything else because. As that energy decomposed, it then went out and is, is in existence with everything, and you know with the way that electrons and everything interacts, like that spread happens extremely fast, so everything is kind of just like a collective um, which makes a lot of sense too, as you were talking about nature, how everything is connected, and we share these same elements, those elements essentially just hold energy, right so if we think of everything as energy, then we can think of everyone is the same because all we 're all made up of the same energy, of course there are like we were talking about genetics, there are, you know, minor differences between the way that the energy chooses to be held temporarily, but ultimately it's all just energy. And, and that actually, I think is a, a perfect transition into uh, GNH, the Gross National Happiness Initiative that you have, which is kind of us uprooting our human greed, which is what you mentioned, like our human greed that we are choosing economic success and other factors for an immediate kind of short-term gratification over this larger existential um, system that we're a part of. And, And that's what GNH is looking to do is it's letting people kind of be rooted in the fact that there is interconnectedness, but not only let the individuals feel that, but let the families feel that let the governing bodies feel that and ultimately let the whole country, which is now influencing different countries to feel that. So kind of bringing us back to this awareness of interconnectedness. And, and I mean, you are the, you know, you're the founder of this, like you are someone that has kind of breathed this into existence, which is amazing. But I'd love for you to kind of share kind of within the scope of GNH, kind of what is the mission and what do we have to learn from the successes you've already had so that we can live by it and then help other people recognize it
1: all right um thank you so much um, a correction here actually i'm not the guy who founded gnh it's uh, a body called center for bhutan studies i instituted under um, the aegis of her royal highness a center ross national happiness center and I also ran it for uh, six years as its executive director. Prior to that, I was working for the Prime minister himself, instituting good governance. And I'm proud about it that I have a system in place still now. <laughs> so, what is GNH, actually? It is basically, you know, what we try to do is balance the material and the spiritual well-being of a person. What it means is that we are not looking in development per se as development, which has no threshold. What is development? really? But we are concentrating saying that the development must be centered around human beings. So what does that mean? If a human being is happy, then we feel we are developed. If the human being is not happy, then we are not developed. And given this fact, Our king, actually, when he was very young, I mean, he became king. Even before 17 years, he had to become a king because his father expired early. So our great king, his message, Jigni Singhya Wong, propounded that gross national happiness is more important than gross domestic product. Actually walked home to home, family to family, to talk to them, to say, how can I make you happy? So the concept of GNH actually um, sits on five premises. We say it must be holistic, it must be balanced, it must be collective, it must be sustainable and it must be equitable. So the whole idea is that we do not want to have a gap like in America between the rich and the poor because we found out that many countries with that kind of a gap are very unhappy countries go back to Nordic countries, their gap is minimized. This doesn't mean that rich people, there are no rich people, there are very rich people. But what we're trying to say is the poor, there must be an avenue for the poor to climb up so that the rich will continue to get richer. You cannot hold them back. But what government can do is government can pick up the lower cadre, people to rise faster up so that they can limit the gap. Ultimately, the king realized that you know everybody wants to be happy at the end of the day, and we know that material things don't make us happy. So, something that happens in Bhutan as a child is you're told if you cannot be content with what you have, even if you aspire for many big things in life, you'll never be happy because what you have you don't regard for. You, And therefore, when you you don't have acceptance for your own self, when you don't have acceptance for your own self, you are comparing, you are competing. And then that is not happiness. So we try to be very content in childhood. That doesn't mean we don't have aims, goals in life. We have high goals, but we are content and we don't try to live in the past. We feel that what has happened in the past is dead and gone. We can't bring it back. We can take it as a lesson in life. Future is not there, but we plan. And we take every day for tomorrow. Whatever we put forward, tomorrow will come by itself. So we don't live tomorrow. We live today. And this is the kind of journey that Bhutan wants to take. And um, you know, we did two uh, big surveys, national surveys. We realized that when the living standard went up, was a direct effect on community vitality and psychological well-being. So GNH is a concept where we try to balance both material and spiritual well-being of an individual. So it's, in fact, we look into um, grossly. So that's why it's gross national happiness. Actually, we do not measure happiness. The GNH measures conditions to happiness. This is the Kind of um, people misunderstand this when they talk about GNH. We measure the conditions, so we try to bring conditions to people, so that they can pursue their own well-being and happiness.
0: I think that's very responsible of you. Just understanding that you know conditions to happiness are within the control of people, because I mean, there's so much that happens to your life that happens to you, and you no, know, and you can control your response, but you don't ultimately have a say in what happens. So by treating happiness on the spectrum when it comes to conditions versus binary, how do I perceive this? I think that actually provides a better framework and foundation because there's more consistency there. And, the, you know, your ability to capture data and measure that, I think, is, is something that informs a lot of people about a state of happiness that they might not otherwise see for themselves because they're so focused on the differences. That actually comes back to the genetics point, too. Is that we share so many genes but we focus on the differences right it's just human nature for some reason to focus on differences and i think that's you know in the in the scope of this too with happiness we focus on the negative rather than the positive just because it has helped us survive so that's kind of one angle to it and I, i think with gnh something that's really responsible as well is how it exists in so many different um layers of responsibility so Meaning that it's not just the government that holds people accountable, but it's the family structure. It's the individual and, and kind of seeing that within the lens also of like capitalism and, and the larger picture of, okay, so like we need to provide for people. That's a real thing, but how can we do so in a really ethical way? And, and kind of that's where we ask people to be self-governed and, you know, and, and how can you be self-governed? It's by making decisions in the present. So I see it all kind of starting to come together in a really beautiful way. Um, and that's why gross national happiness has served as a template that other people are looking to implement themselves, um, which, which is truly inspiring. Um, and, and that's actually kind of the, the next step too, is that the, the transition, you know, kind of like we have an awareness in the West, right? Like we have this awareness, but we haven't necessarily implemented it too much. And I know that we've spoken before on kind of the different philosophy, the West and East have specifically Bhutan is how the West kind of goes through this consumption and waste cycle in order to feel gratified because, you know, there's more of a capitalistic urgency and kind of energy built into the way that we operate through a lens of productivity and efficiency and stuff like that. So that actually changes, in my opinion, our perception of what we should be happy about. And and kind of what you helped me understand was that we buy new things and we do new things and we consume because then that gives us the immediate gratification we need. Whereas understanding the larger picture perhaps provides more of a delayed gratification but it's holistic and it's sustainable so i would love to hear kind of your advice that you give when it's someone like me who lives in the west or someone who doesn't um, necessarily live by the same principles that you're talking about within gnh what are some of the first things that we can do to live in a more equitable and kind of sustainable way when it comes to our own happiness and then how we share that happiness with the people around us
1: Right, I I, I think um, America as a powerful nation in the world can still be much more powerful by not consuming so much that they produce, but by giving it out, by sharing with the world outside. Because the more you share, the more blessings you get, the more powerful you become naturally. This is a law of nature, a law of nature. And I think uh, uh, what is happening in America is I think the concept of happiness has been transcended by the capitalist feeling or by the, co- by the conventional model of economic development. If we go back to the uh, last economic recession, uh, President Bush said uh, to the Americans, go out and buy. Go out and buy. And when you buy and waste, economy grows, but does it bring happiness? I think what America needs to look at is what is the ultimate goal of every human being? Because the truth is that we'll all pass away. So what is one thing that every American would like to leave behind before they transcend themselves? If they went to these goals, from tomorrow, they will start to share out to the world. Definitely. Because they will realize that for a life, you don't need much. I eat once a day. All you need food is to uh, replace your cells, energize yourselves, and that you are alive for your soul to live in until everything falls apart. So when we recognize who we are, that means we recognize the nature and we, when we recognize the nature, we realize that the more I eat, more I consume, I directly bring effect onto the nature, which means I bring effect to myself indirectly over the time. If it is not me, my generation. So the question here is, are we living for ourselves today? If you're living with for ourselves today, all right, let's destroy the planet, vanish from here. But if we are living for our generations to come, then we need to think differently, really differently. I wish that the UN has a weak lockdown for the planet once this lockdown gets over, so that one we can rejuvenate Earth all the time. I mean, this is rejuvenating ourselves actually, not the Earth. Directly we are rejuvenating ourselves. So I think, uh, We need to realize who we are. And once Americans would realize the fact that we are not what we think we are, we are out there, the nature. Then I think they would start to regard better for the nature. But this idea is not there at the moment.
0: Yeah, I mean you're you're making me think a lot about this and I mean, something I've shared with you before, too, is kind of a theme to my life is exactly what you just referenced, which is the more you share, the more there is for yourself and others, you know, and, and that's, that's something I'm really taking to heart. And, you know, we've connected on a few ideas that I have and everything about that. So that's, that's exciting. And I'm really stepping into that. So I feel like I'm starting to embody that. But then you asked a really good question, which, uh, which is a perspective shift for sure, which is, who are we living for? And seeing your life. As an individual, as an independent, trying to satisfy your own needs is very limiting and it's not sustainable and it's more consuming than sharing, right? So by the nature of kind of we're thinking with energy and the different elements and and like with our personal decisions, if we're choosing to overindulge the self, that means there's a fixed amount of energy. That means there's less for others. So like understanding that we have a role in this larger cycle and this like hierarchy of energy is a huge perspective shift especially if we believe that we will live again right and our energy was going to be returned to us in some form or or some other way so i i think especially on the west there is um definitely a need for this perspective just because it's not built into the foundation of at least America you know like we live by a very consumer economy and like you said the market responds to the demand and and everyone has their own greed. So I, I think there is a lot of lessons built into that that need to be learned. And there's one, one more lesson, um, which is probably the most cliche question you'll ever be asked. But um, it sounds like you got a secret to happiness. You know, If there is a secret or a, like a, a tip, kind of like the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to being happy, um, what, what would you say is the secret to happiness?
1: Um, Well, mindfulness. Mindfulness is the secret to happiness. If you are mindful every breathing moment with your actions, physically, even thinking, you'll always be happy. Happiness is within, not outside of us. So when you are living moment to moment with the right thoughts and right actions, there's no way for you to be unhappy. But what I do personally is when I wake up in the morning, before I start doing anything on the bed, I sit quietly, reflect yesterday, and then, you know, thank for today. I say, thank you, universe. I have 24 hours in front of me. Let me nourish everyone around me, including myself. Let me be able to be in service of everyone. And that's how I begin my journey, because I don't know whether I wake up tomorrow or not. So I try to be as good as possible every living moment of my life, every day. The moment you decide to live with this fact, to be yourself and to live this journey, every moment, mindfully, you'll find happiness
0: within. That's amazing. Dr. Samjit Shetri, thank you so much for your time, for your energy, for your wisdom, and for uh, the, the perspective that you bring, um, just because it, it truly comes from a selfless place. It comes from a place of connectedness, interconnectedness specifically, and appreciation and gratitude and mindfulness itself. So I'm, I'm very grateful for you and everything. Um, and, and I have one more request of you, if you don't mind. Um, if, if, you wouldn't, if you wouldn't mind ending this with your beautiful happiness song, I would, oh, I would sure. really enjoy that.
1: Oh, sure. Thank you. I love that. <laughs> I like to sing my song. <laughs> this I adapted from also the Buddhist master, Zen Buddhist master, Ipnath Han is his name. So it goes like this. Happiness is here and now, I have dropped my worries, nowhere to go, nothing to do, and I'm not in a hurry. Happiness is here and now I have dropped my worries Somewhere to go, something to do, but I'm not in a hurry. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity, Bren.
0: Wow, that is the happiness guru of Bhutan, Dr. Samdu Chetri. We started the conversation talking about our connection to nature and how all living beings are made up of the same elements, and how there's not that much different from us than each other and other living beings. This is why we feel so connected to nature, because we are nature. This conversation then transitioned into talking about energy and the different forms it has taken throughout history which currently resides within each and every one of us. Then we talked about GNH, Gross National Happiness. An initiative Dr. Samdu helped establish in Bhutan that measures its government's performance based on the well-being of its citizens, not GDP. And then last, we talked about the secret to happiness, which is mindfulness, and what we have to discover in every single moment. Dr. Samdu and his enlightenment opened my eyes to the energetic cycles and processes that we aren't alive long enough to see. It gives me a renewed appreciation for the miracle that is life. If you liked this episode, please write a review. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to consistently take steps forward in your personal development. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time on Self-Improvement Daily.